0: Is the ideal hole up spot for the zombie apocalypse nowadays?
1: Ugh. Ugh. I still I mean, think a mall's pretty good. A mall is good. I mean, it's but you have to have a good
2: it. food court. Yeah, you got to really have like a five star restaurant stuff. I mean, there's steaks. Yeah, that's, that's a good
1: spot. That's a top end. Do you know, they still do a walking tours of this, this mall? Really? It's still there. That's mm. cool. Yeah,
2: that's really cool. I yeah. don't know.
1: A public school,
0: maybe fencing, yeah. you know, limited windows,
2: prison prison. I
1: mean, hard to argue with that one. Yeah.
2: That's probably the one. Really, any
1: government building, a lot of brutalist very architecture. Secure. Yeah. yeah. A yeah, lot of concrete. Yeah, Early yeah. Probably in the clear. Like a yeah. National Guard armory.
2: Masonic Lodge. No windows, no doors. Oh, hey, now no no, we're dead. talking. Just a brick building. Good call. Good call. Probably no food, but... No probably.
1: windows, big doors. We're, we're really covering our bases. That's good. Uh, We're, we're all done, though, right?
2: I don't, yeah.
1: know, I don't know. I got, like, three days tops. And that's, like, that's generous. I mean, I've had a
2: gun and a little ammo. I could probably survive a while. But
1: yeah, yeah I got I got dad motivation. Yeah, no, you,
2: you do, do have that going for true. you. Yeah, yeah. So.
0: So I will kill people.
2: Not even zombies, <laughs> Not just even zombies. people. Yeah. I'm just no. Them bikers are dead before they hit
1: the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm too tired at this point. You asked me this question ten years ago, and I got a I got a whole uh, like 22 page battle plan uh, ready to go. I, at this point, in my life. Yeah. Uh,
2: Dalton welcomes to the zombie experience yeah, at this I just point.
1: <laughs> Wait till I'm out of fresh water in my own home, and I already yeah. feel like a zombie half
2: the time, and just but wandering the halls at work. I'm saying that. Might I got red on me. Point
1: yeah. of the movie, right there. I think it is. Well, hey, that's a good
0: segue. Yeah. Hello again, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We gather on a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss. But
1: guess what, gang? It's Shocktober. Ooh,
2: Ooh. 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 Shocktober
1: Eight. <laughs> the Ocho. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It, I am very happy. Sam Hain is upon us. Yes, it's good times, good times indeed. And so we
0: are doing all things diabolical, evil, and horror-filled. And uh, we have chosen for our marathon this time, to sort of give it specificity, uh, we have chosen to give ourselves Horror Blind Spots. So these are big movies in horror that one of us has not seen. And so each host gets a selection that particular film. And I get to be the first picker of
1: films, and therefore I have picked... Shamefully,
0: Dawn of the Dead
1: yeah, you mentioned it, 78 from George A. Romero. You mentioned it last episode that uh, you, it's real shaming because you cited this in a published work before, I right? I have. I have. I mean, I wasn't talking directly about it, but it's yeah. one of those things you
0: do in research where you read synopses and you look at stuff and you, you know, understand what's going on with a thing. But if it's not part of your main point, you don't necessarily watch all the movies.
2: I mean, and it's one of those horror Citizen Kane things where you've seen it in pop culture. You've seen yeah. oh, all the yeah. beats, no matter, I mean... All the homage and zombie films, you know Shaun of the Dead I mean we get those famous moments but just dispersed across literature and, and so I think you can put it together pretty quick and probably could piece most of this movie together from clips from other media and I think that's also a really interesting how a film can enter.
1: Yeah it's also got a relatively uh, well received and you know, pretty damn good remake that's seen a lot of TV play which the, I like, have seen. yeah I mean it's been yeah it's it's been a hot hot cable property for like 15 years now. It's, so yeah. exactly, you see it. You're like, okay, cool. Ah, there's so many zombie movies. It's yeah, I get it. I was shocked that you hadn't gotten to it yet, but I'm, I'm excited we get to talk about it. Yep. So I've seen Day and I've seen Survival, but I haven't seen this one. And I've you've seen, seen Night. I've seen Night,
2: obviously. Yeah. yeah. I've seen Land of the Dead, and I think that's it.
1: I've That's... seen them all, I think. Oh, yeah, oh no. Have you seen Land. Diary? I've seen Day. I've not in, seen Diary. I've seen Diary. I think Survival I never got to, uh, which is the last one he did. And gotcha. I've only seen Day in like, bits and pieces, so I can't properly say that I've seen it, I guess.
2: I think when I got the, I had a Dawn of the Dead two-pack that had Land of the Dead in it. It had the remake in it, and then Land of the Dead. I think okay. Land of the Dead is where they have the city. Yes. Yeah, okay. Land's fun. Land's, Land's got some good ideas yeah. in it.
0: Yeah, I like them all. That I've seen. Same. So, um, well, there you go, dear listener. Um, so that's what our topic is, in case you're tuning in for the very first time. Oh, introductions. I'm Dustin. I'm Arthur. Dalton. And so there you go. That's us. Uh, we are them, and we are now going to be doing a thing that requires us to have spoilers, because this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. And so that means if you have not seen Dawn of the Dead like myself, um, and if you were like me and don't care, you would go ahead and listen. If you are unlike me and want to watch the movie fresh for some reason since 1970. Eight, nearly thirty years ago, thirty-one years ago at this point, um,
1: that's fine too. Oh, well, um, we got a rare perk for you this week. We also have zombies in the building at the moment. Uh, don't worry about that. Uh, we have a rare perk for you this week. Right, look, if you're scared about spoilers, pause this, baby. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead's on YouTube. I guess the rights to this movie are weird. There's a four K uh, rip uh, up on YouTube that's been there for a couple of years. It's not going it's away. it got a whole lot of views. I don't think anybody cares for some reason. So. And it
2: looks real good.
1: I, it's so pretty. And Ooh. I didn't
0: look it up about the whole rights thing like night. I but, didn't either. Yeah. So yeah. I curious.
1: I don't know what the deal with that is. I don't. I'm...
2: We couldn't find it to rent anywhere. We couldn't yeah. find it to stream. And then there it just happened YouTube. to look on YouTube. Because sometimes You're they lucky. show up on YouTube. Yep.
1: So uh, pause. Go listen. Go watch the movie. Come yep. back. Welcome back. And what we're going to do now
0: is we're going to have a synopsis and our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which are going to be spoiler light. And then we're going to expand the syllabus, which might be slightly more spoiler full. And then once we get down to business and get that analysis cracking, uh, it'll be spoiler time. So you have been warned. So without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, let's hear that synopsis, please.
2: A decade after the watershed zombie flick Night of the Living Dead, George Romero returned with a spiritual successor, Dawn of the Dead. With a $1.5 million budget, Dawn of the Dead would become the most profitable entry in the franchise with a return of $55 million. In the wake of some sort of mysterious phenomena, dead bodies have reanimated and began feeding on living people. There they are right now. These people then reanimate, spreading the disease quickly. Urban centers are being affected at greater rates as the hordes quickly overrun areas. Stephen Andrews and Francine Parker plot to take the local TV station's helicopter and get out of Dodge. Meanwhile, SWAT officer Roger, a friend of Stephen, tells fellow officer Peter about the plan. The four get the helicopter and escape into the sky. They soon find a shopping mall and take up residence after clearing the place of zombies and locking it down. After several months, a pregnant Francine pushes to leave. As they're prepping, the mall is raided by a biker gang, which unleashes hundreds of zombies inside. The three fight off the bikers and zombies to varying degrees of success before Peter and Francine manage to get to the choppa and fly into the horizon.
0: Nice. Very good, very good. That's what
1: happens. Yeah, you gotta stop telling people we're gonna be spoiler light. You know that Arthur likes to give people the rundown. Yeah, that, that's, that is the movie, so um, spoiler... Yeah. Look, we've... we've barely scratched the surface on this guy. That's just that's what happened. That's, that's just not plot. what the movie is. Come on. No. You've seen a movie
0: before. You know. So let's go ahead and do this thing. Do we like Dawn of the Dead? Um Dalton, you've seen the movie before and you have different thoughts than you used to.
1: Yeah, uh I, I liked it okay. Uh much like uh I, well everybody else at this table I got to the remake first. it was a big-ass movie i was 14 it, i was very much the uh, target i was the target demo yeah what are you gonna do uh so i got to it and i, I caught this for the first time 1920 i don't know somewhere in there uh I'm younger enough uh, than i am now that i've have uh, yeah as dustin said a much different opinion i liked it just fine uh, kind of had that uh citizen kane effect on me that uh, films you've seen the influence uh the progeny of Uh, first you're just like this is fine and that was pretty much my reaction the first time around but uh, guys I don't I don't know what it is something about this film maybe it was that beautiful beautiful 4k cut but this really got me this time Uh, there were waterworks uh, which is not something you expect going into George Romero's Dawn of the Dead but waterworks there were Uh, I became very emotionally invested in in the arc of these four characters and I think that's I mean, the movie's real trick is the budget shows. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. There are times where the scenes of this film show, uh, whether it's zombie makeup or a tenured line reading or, uh, well, brown face makeup early on, Ooh. which, again, feels more like a limited actor pool, but, I don't know, let's not... George is a nice man, by all accounts, and is no longer with us, so I'm going to go ahead and skirt past that and say, even though the budget shows, in those moments, there's still just some real magic going on in this film, and I, I think that is... Uh, a testament to George Romero's craft, is even throughout his entire career working on limited budgets with the exceptional Land of the Dead, uh, he always just finds something there, whether it's just kind of a, an off-kilter shot composition that looks very uh, comic booky, which is a, apparently a big influence for him. He really wanted some panel-esque shots going into this. He wanted to really differentiate it from the look of Night of the Living Dead, and it shows. Night of the Living Dead's this real 60s kind of realist-looking movie, and this film is just dripping with style. And again, yeah, sure, you see makeup get rubbed off when they're rolling around with zombies sometimes. Yeah, right, Roger's not, you know, he's he's doing his best. He doesn't have the best line readings, but he's acting with his eyes a lot. There's, there's a lot of depth being drawn out of these characters. And again, it speaks to Romero's work as both a writer and a director. He knew these characters well enough that he was able to get these performances out of Uh, these actors who are, you know, I guess they're semi-professional. I mean, uh, they've all got some credits, but this is the big one for all of them. Um, So, again, I'm just infinitely fascinated by the levels that this movie works on because there's so much there. Obviously, there's the consumer stuff. We'll get there. It's the stuff you know we're going to talk about. There's a lot here about interpersonal dynamics, uh, and that was lost on me, to be perfectly honest, the, the first time, probably because I was, you know, a teenager teenagers are dumb uh love you teens i hope you're listening but you know you'll figure it out you've got you've got stuff to work on uh i did too but uh coming around to this film as an adult i am yeah just constantly swept up in the character drama that's happening in this film um so when we get to that that mall sequence uh, that goes on for a long time and is kind of the the chunk of the film that most people will talk about, uh, and I'm sure the, the fellas I know, we talked a little off air, I know they've got some issues with that sequence, and they're not the first or last people that I probably have. Uh, but there's about a 20-minute stretch in this movie where nothing happens, and I just, like, really fell in love with it uh, even more than I already was. So uh, we'll talk more about uh, all the great things going on in this movie, but that's that's the long and the short of it for me, guys. I think Romero has a, a deft handling of his characters and really knows how to show widespread and small-scale chaos with uh, the tools that he had at his disposal. It's a it's a hell of an achievement.
0: All right, thank you very much for that Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say Arthur? Do you like Dawn of the Dead?
2: Like is a good word. I I think for myself, and to Dalton's point, maybe a rewatch would bring out a lot more and not being exhausted, but... Yeah, yeah, I mean, that'll do it. I I mean, I think it kicks off really well. I I, I like the kind of pandemonium that's happening, especially at the... I'm more interested in what's happening at the broadcast station rather than in the apartment complex. I think that the just complete everybody-losing-their-mind element is so... I I think there are elements of realism in there, right? I mean, if, if it was my day and I'm like, uh, the corpses are after me? Nah, I'm good. You can have this job. Like, Bye guys. one point when the station manager's yelling at the security guard, the guy's just like, peace out. Like, yeah. he doesn't care.
1: I love that he, yeah, he follows the guy he's yeah. supposed to be stopping from leaving. He's, he's like, like, grabs no, his jacket. I'm, I'm with him.
2: Yeah, uh, it's not a bad idea, right? Uh, yeah. uh and so I appreciate those little moments. I, I love the anarchy of the two guys debating the thing and then people are running up making rabbit ears. Like, nobody's taking it serious. I love I
1: love that they give you the last TV show on the air. It's so good. Yeah,
2: it's a lot of fun. Um, And I, I think Romero is, to your point, I think he's a great director. I think he's so economic with the way he shoots this film to hide that budget. The way he's using these tight shots to stay close on his you know, two to three people at a time. He's not having to bring in a lot of people and really show off these sets. He's not really having to show off what he's working with. He's keeping it real tight. I appreciate that. And even some of the editing he's using to mask that I think works well. Um, there are other moments though where I don't think the editing is as good. There's some very jarring cuts, especially at the mall. Uh, there's one thing where they're making a plan. The next thing they've executed that plan and and it's a really jarring cut. Uh, and I was like, what is there? Something wrong with this upload? Like, you know, does I thought
1: the same thing? Yeah. But apparently there's, there's some longer versions of this film. There's the European version that's famously pretty different. And director's cut. Yeah. yeah yeah Zombie. yeah uh um, there's there's a lot of versions of this movie so i'm sure that has something to do with I, it i I'm imagine you, man those were those are jarring
2: and so and, and to Dalton, what like like dalton alluded when when they hit the mall i feel like the energy just zaps out of this movie once they kind of start looking around and they're really living it up i guess you know they they keep going out and they come back in and they keep going off and they do it and like i don't really see the point of why they do it so many times it feels uh very redundant and repetitive uh for them to keep going to that that well um and so it it really loses me in that moment, and even after the the bikers show up, uh it just goes on forever, and they're just throwing pies in zombies' face. I mean, there's it gets a so wackiness up. to it that I don't think meshes well, but it just feels like it goes on way too long. I appreciate Tom Savini showing up, and That's he's good. Tom Savini, he is good. I mean, he's always
1: good, but it's so fun to see him young. And yeah, he's still he looks
2: great, and yeah,
1: he's kind of like a natural actor, man. Yeah,
2: he he does have that charisma and that charm, and he's great in donna of the. Uh, from *Dust Till Dawn* as well, you know. Later, but um, here, I, I, not only on the acting side, but just on the creative side, the the effects he's using, the makeup. I love the gray zombies. I think that that makeup is so dynamic it's on screen.
1: Effective. He doesn't love it apparently. Apparently, he wished he'd done it a little differently since so many of the zombies show up blue. Yeah, it kind of gives the the zombies a bloat look to me. Yeah, I love. I think
2: it works really yeah. well. I, I I do like that about it. Um, I think that uh, the score from *Goblin*, uh, you know, uh, Argento. Um, worked, collaborated on this as well. And, you know, bringing in Goblin and Argento to help with the score is just a great move. I think that score is wonderful. All of it. I, I, I like it at all moments. Even when it becomes this kind of campy lounge, uh, waiting room music, I think it still works. Um, and so I appreciate that about it. Uh, and the cast, I, I do like, I like Peter. I like Steven. Steven, uh, has that real, uh, like in 10 years, he's going to be the rich CEO dude that everybody hates. Like he's just got that, Very weaselly type look to him, like he's going to be typecast as just the bad guy, either husband or CEO. He's just a kind
0: of Miguel Ferrer role the rest of his life. And he he reminded me a lot of Shooter McGavin, you
2: know,
1: yeah, aggressively like proto yuppie vibes. Yep,
2: Uh, and so I I think it's a weird to kind of see him as this kind of good guy, you know, but also because he's he's just yeah. yeah, and I think that's the thing, you know, everybody kind of has complicated relationships and intentions and I really like Roger and Peter's relationship I think that's a very interesting relationship and what's going on with that one because um, they don't know each other very long before they get on this bus but they get real close while they're in that mall and I think that's a really dynamic relationship
1: I think it starts even earlier than that, Arthur. I think it starts in that uh, that apartment. Yeah, complex. they
2: initially bond when they're <clears throat> Yeah, because I mean, they're
1: the last two people seemingly who haven't lost their minds. Yeah. It's uh ooh, we, we'll talk more about that in analysis, but I'm a big fan of that sequence. There's a lot going on there.
2: I do wish Francine had something other to do than just sit around and stare.
1: I think she does a lot with what she's given. Uh, uh, yeah. Apparently, Galen Ross. I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but uh, Romero directed her to scream at one scene when they were trying to figure out how it was going to work, and she's like, "I'm not going to do that, man. The character you wrote wouldn't scream. I like the the way that I have interpreted this character. That's that's not where she's at. And yeah. uh, I think that shows. I think Galen Ross' performance is really strong. Yeah. You're right uh, in terms of actually like verbalizing the internal life that I think she's bringing to the character. Not a lot there. I think
2: you're right. Um. So yeah, I, I I think there's a lot to like here. I think it's very layered in a lot of moments. I think that Romero is trying to be intentionally message-driven in this one, uh whereas I don't think he is in Night of the Living Dead. I think Night of the Living Dead is one of those perfect storm things where everything is accidental about it, and I I think here he's trying to make it about something, and more or less doesn't always work for me. Uh. So th- you know, that's it. I, I I there's a lot to appreciate. I I really appreciate uh, Romero's direction. There's no you know doubting its impact and so I, I think that's worth a lot as well and so for me it's a, it's a solid thumbs up.
1: Alright, thank you very much. Gentleman Six by the sounds of it.
0: Yeah. So, um, I also like the movie. It, it I did not it didn't blow my hair back like I wanted it to, yeah, and and I think maybe that's really some of my ambivalence is not so much that I really have much to criticize as much as I just w- expected and wanted so much more, and again, yeah. having seen Zack snyder's remake um slick movie it's a very slick movie, and this is less that um it is a little long. Um, I do think I like the use of the time spent in the mall and the sort of you know conspicuous consumption that is characterizing what the what they're doing in that moment. And so I, I think that's useful and uh, a way to move forward some of Romero's themes. But I think it's a bit long, um, is what I would say about that. That you could have cut a couple of the sequences out and it would have been a little leaner and probably a little bit better watch uh, for that. I do like the Goblin score when it's going for eerie. I like it less when it is doing that car carnivalesque thing. It just, it seems, it seems, you know, you guys mentioned off air, we talked about sort of an uncanny valley where it's almost what you would expect. And there is a way in which it is, but it's just a little too far removed. Just, just half an inch off the cliff for me, um, where if it were just a little closer, it probably would be a bit creepier. But for me, there were moments when I was taken out. Uh, because of it. That's totally fair. Yeah. And, 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 and again, usually love Goblin and uh, love things that they do. And most of the time, it really, really works. But there were just a couple moments here and there where I'm like, mm, I'm not so sure about that. Um, and, and that being said, yeah, as you guys have already mentioned, the performances are great. The way they uh, frame the photography is fantastic. I love the makeup. Tom Savini is awesome. And uh, and also in what he's doing behind the camera and what he's doing in front of the camera. And so there's not a whole lot to complain about there. But it does just... it. Does doesn't quite meet again the sort of built up expectation you and it is sort of like you talked about the Citizen Kane effect earlier Dalton that there's two parts of it that don't work were two parts of what makes that citizen Kane effect uh, work where you dislike a movie or you don't enjoy a movie as much as you sort of expect one is because you've seen it and you know it because of other bits of pop culture that have already done it, but also because the hype train has been going for so long for a movie like Citizen Kane or the hype train's been going so long for Casablanca or you know
1: uh, I, I would a say for James Dean movie. I would say for Dawn of the Dead at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely. It's almost fifty years old. Yeah, it's getting long in the tooth, man. And well, it's, it's only 31. 40. 78,
0: right? Seventy-eight.
2: That's forty.
1: Forty-one. 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 Yeah. 41. Okay. I,
0: said, I think I said thirty-one earlier.
1: I can't do math. That means I mean that puts
2: neither of you did at fifty-one, and I mean that's that's, that's in that yeah. echelon <laughs> as well. I mean that's one of those movies.
1: But, so I mean, yeah, I think you're right. This movie's got a reputation, and uh, if it doesn't immediately blow the doors off for you, I think yeah, it that it, this. Yeah, So
0: I think I'm experiencing more of the letdown of what I wanted less than sure. what I experienced, and so I, I want to be fair when I'm saying what I'm saying about yeah. it. Um, I will say this, though. I do think it's a little heavy-handed. And uh, that is, I think, a fault, and that's the only real fault that I can identify. That occasionally I didn't love moments in the score, but they're not that bad. But the heavy-handedness of it, the the attempt to sort of make themes work, as you mentioned earlier, Arthur, is something that again uh, slightly diminishes the return of my experience, but only slightly. Uh, otherwise, it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, gentlemen, six, seven, I guess I'd give. You know, I
2: do, I mean, it does have the greatest line of dialogue in when there's no more room in hell the dead will walk the earth that's yeah that's just a that's choice. a perfect line
1: it's, yeah good it's a good light. It's all the explanation you need. Yeah. It kicks so much ass. Yeah, yeah. It's very, I love very it. fun,
0: and it, we've moved away from these sort of asteroid radiation sort of explanation that's in the first film. I don't remember anything in that the chaotic news sequence when they had any explanations. There.
2: I think they keep getting interrupted. They never really do blur it. Yeah, and Nobody I think bothers. this parable is as good of an explanation as anything. need, yeah.
1: and he comes back to deliver that in the Romero remake. As I'm, I'm sure the the pet ants and nerds out there want to make sure we we mention, he he gets to drop that line again. Because uh, it it's so good, ain't
0: no room in hell, guys. Yeah. Um, so because we've all gone there. Moving on, though. Uh, hey,
1: I'm not giving up uh, on the theory that we're doing it right now, baby. Yeah. So well, oh, there you go, and there's no more room because <laughs> overpopulation. Yeah. All right. Well, that was bleak. Uh, <laughs> let's let's see how bleak it can get let's on see. on a race to the bottom. So here we go.
0: We're expanding the syllabus, and uh, I'm gonna assume. Can I, can I can I impose a rule? Yields. We're not going to choose Night of the Living Dead to
2: expand the syllabus.
1: I thought about doing a zombie canon thing, but no, I did not. Uh, let's
0: impose that. Okay. Instead of I just, can take it off mine.
2: You, oh, is it on there? Well, no. Well, I, I mean, just that's a I mean, either one would work. Okay. Yeah.
0: Because I I think, you know, okay, zombies, you know, you could say, well, oh, here's a zombie canon, Night of, yeah. Day of, you know, uh, something from The Walking Dead.
1: Yeah. yeah. Hey, Sean. Sean. Twenty-eight. Your 28s is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean,
2: 2004, 2005 was just, I mean, that was it. That's it's a good run. That's mm-hmm. when it restarts the cycle.
1: Uh, well, right. I mean, that's when uh, Andrea Subasati uh, of the Faculty of War was writing uh, her thesis about this very same thing, right? That the resurgence is happening, and let's go back to the Ur text and see what they can tell us. Yeah, I mean, it's it starts in the mid-aughts for sure.
0: So let's let's see what we can do though with a class that's wrestling in different kinds of ways, and and so let's let's try let's see what let's see what happens with that. Um, I'll go to you first, Dalton, since I sort of removed a thing. Maybe you need a second, Arthur. Yep. No, he doesn't need a second at all. Okay, well, I'm still going to go to Dalton first because I already said it, and that's okay. I don't want to confuse the listener.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or myself, really. I appreciate your commitment. And I want Dalton to finish first. <laughs> I'm a <laughs> what, gentleman. What
1: a gentleman. I was, you beat me to it. What a gentleman. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, well, Dustin, <laughs> I, I had a similar thought. I, I wanted to try to avoid uh, anything obvious, uh, but my first thought was, well, it's, what's the post-Romero canon? Like, anything like uh, After Dawn or After Day, probably. But there's, there's a lot in there that I haven't seen, honestly. There's a lot of um, well-regarded uh, indie and B, uh, zombie films from the 80s and 90s that are Blind spots for me like reanimate or stuff like that and uh, the Italian uh, sequels to this zombie 2 and you know all that stuff that I feel is useful text so didn't want to do that thought about siege films pretty sure we've talked about that in some depth on the show uh, and it settled on uh, something real stupid and high concept which is most of my classes uh, this is the real survival or the emotions we dealt with along the way films where people are stuck in some pretty god-awful uh, situations uh but it all ends up being a metaphor for the things they they're feeling um look that's the kind of movie i like give me give me some slop give me some some grime give me some genre and uh uh, nestle and sneak some some big feelings in there so we're going to start off with uh one of the most contentious film discussions that's ever happened on this show uh uh, joe carnahan's the gray it's a film i mentioned uh i don't know probably every I i get to it Twice a year, I think, uh, in terms of pairing it with films we're talking about on the show,
2: I edit references out every week.
1: Makes sense. I'm a big look. I'm a big fan of this movie. Uh, It it was uh, a film that I came to when we first started doing this show. So I was first really starting to uh, force genre films to be smarter than maybe they were sometimes because, damn it, it's more fun that way. Uh, But Dustin and I had a big back and forth about whether or not this film is uh, uh, pragmatic or nihilistic, and uh, we won't relitigate that here. But I think that's that's the big strength of the film. I was right. Well, it, it's not about who's being right. Sometimes, Dustin, maybe we were both right, and there's more to it, baby. Uh, you're not going to go me into a fight. I'm feeling too happy today. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's the strength of the film, though. I, I think multiple readings, uh, divergent opinions on this is a strength. But, yeah, it's it's about a bunch of roughnecks and uh, loners and weirdos and outcasts uh, go down in Alaska, and Liam Neeson's got to save John Barenthal and everybody else from wolves. Uh, oh, no, John Barenthal's not in this. It's uh, Frank Grillo. Don't yeah. listen to me. Uh, this movie kicks ass. It's really good. It's a dumb, lean, uh, but smarter than it has any right to be dad movie. And I like everything about it, and I think it goes to some interesting places, primarily in using um, uh, the elements and the wilderness and the wolves as a, as a stand-in for the grief. Uh, and the heartache that seems to be pursuing all these guys. Next up, we're going to go visit a film from uh, Belgium that we talked about a couple of years ago on the show we're all in love with. It's Raw. We look... They're nice. I'm going to bring up this movie any chance I get. It's a cannibalism movie, but a much different kind than this movie. Uh, The real cannibalism, it turns out, in this movie is uh, female sexuality... I think – I'm still trying to figure out what this movie's about, guys. i got to be honest. I think that's one of I the things. I think that's one of the things. But I'm not sure if I think there it's is a lot. thing. There yeah. is a uh, thing. But that's one of the joys of, again, of Raw, much like The Grey. You can take a lot out of it. Uh, there's a lot of subtext. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of good writing and uh, just a lot of good uh, uh, performances. Big fan of that film. And, again, I think uh, a really good movie about uh, both surviving uh, your first semester of college and surviving uh, feelings you don't understand. Next up, what are we going to survive next, everybody? Uh, well, we I, I did want to get one societal collapse film in here, and it's a film that a lot of people like, so I just like to bring it up every once in a while. It's It comes at night. Uh, I can't think of the filmmaker's name off the top of my head, but uh directed Kri- Krisha, Krishna, uh, which everybody liked. Didn't like this one as much. I still haven't caught up with it's Kreisha, right?
2: I think it's Krishna. I,
1: I can never remember. I haven't caught up with that yet. He's got the new one coming, but I, I like It Comes at Night. It takes uh, all of the fear of the other stuff that is the implied subtext of most uh, apocalypse and most zombie films specifically, because it's some sort of uh, viral epidemic. But It's just you know it's just like leprosy. Nobody's going to try to eat you. They're just going to give you a big old bad case of the dying pain fleece. Um, but uh, it gives that film a chance to really make all of that zombie film subtext about people being the real scary thing uh, and just lets it live there. Lets it live in those feelings and emotions and what happens when you're put in a position where the right thing to do is take care of people you inherently can't trust. It's good stuff. Uh, last but certainly not least, uh, I want to mention a film that I saw this weekend. I was going to talk about Force Majeure and surviving family dynamics, but let's nice. just... I know, right? And another film that uh, I like way more than everybody else on this show, and uh, everybody was mad I made them watch it. But I want to talk about another movie about families, uh, because I saw Ad Astra this weekend, a new James Gray movie with uh, old, old B. Pitts. Uh, well, looks, I, I got to go catch up with the James Gray movies now, because this movie kicks ass. I'm a big fan. Uh, it's like if 2001... Uh, also featured a moon rover chase what, in, a, in a space baboon. There's This movie's got everything, but it's also got a lot of damn feelings uh, and a lot of good, big, beautiful space photography um, or space special effects at any at any rate. Uh, this movie's not doing great at the box office, so I want to try to encourage people to go see it because I think there's a lot there. Uh, but no, Brad Pitt, while surviving uh, the, the harsh realities of space, sure, He's just trying to survive his dad and the toxic masculinity that gets passed on to all sons by their fathers, uh, despite their best intentions. Uh, There's a lot going on in Ad Astra, and it's a new movie, so I won't belabor the point or give away any spoilers, but it's a a film uh, that more than any of these other survival films I've tried to say are about something else. I think it is the one that is most ham-fistedly about something else, but I think that works in its favor. So that's the syllabus. It's it's all about uh, survival and feelings.
0: Nice, nice. Very good, very good. Thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, what are you going to teach as a class using Dawn of the Dead, Arthur?
2: I was going to take it in this route of uh, the inventiveness of independent horror. Uh, I had read this tweet a couple weeks ago from Scott Derrickson. It's really stuck with me. And he said, A temptation for tentpole filmmakers is having enough money to afford first ideas, which are rarely the best ideas. Smaller budgets force creative alternatives that are often superior. Better to throw your mind at a problem than money. When directing, compromises your friend. And that really just stuck with me. I thought about it a lot when I was watching uh, Dawn of the Dead. And that's why I was going to bring up Night of the Living yeah, Dead as because well. Because it does a similar kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But, I mean, Dawn of the Dead is doing that, right? I mean, we've got all of these, uh, again, going back to the the way it's shot, the way it's very economically shot to mask so many of the uh, constraints uh, from a budgetary standpoint. Um And it, it overcomes that. And, and I think that really kind of lays the groundwork uh to look at that and so I went with uh, that I went with Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm, uh, yeah. on Hooper and, and uh, the
1: movie that probably shouldn't be any damn good but is just yeah by all
2: accounts I mean it was a miserable shooting experience everything that could go wrong went wrong you know everybody was starting to stink and everybody was so angry with one another and the castmates didn't get along but they were able to Turn that turmoil into a great chemistry between everybody that gave us the film that we got in it, and you it worked so Franklin well.
1: Franklin was really that unpleasant.
2: That's what I've heard.
1: Yeah, it wasn't acting.
2: Yeah, I, I think that was all candid.
1: Uh, also, nobody likes to be outside in Texas in the summer at all, <laughs> or for Oklahoma for that matter. <laughs> no, baby, We're getting me. it, yeah. True, true. Uh,
2: but I I think it's smart from Hooper to be able to capitalize on that, to notice that, and be like, I want to use that uh, to make this work, and it, it helps sell not only the the dynamics between the characters and the the turmoil going on, but also just the look of the film, this kind of dirtiness that it has and encapsulates and it's beautiful in its own grimy way and makes it so much... Not maybe not scarier, but more unpleasant. I mean, you think about the movie. You, you tell people about the movie, and they're like, oh, "I can't watch it because it's just so disgusting." But it's it's not referring to the gore. It's referring to just the aesthetic of that film.
1: Yeah, it's uh honestly a very tame film by modern standards. But true, boy, yeah, just it seeps into your skin. And yeah. in a deeply unpleasant way.
2: And then I want to go to a, a movie where the costume director ran down to a dollar store and grabbed a William Shatner mask and painted it white, and they gave us Halloween. Nice. You know, good I mean, pick. you you can't afford a, a fancy costume designer, and you just make do with what you got, and then you turn it into one of the most iconic, you know, characters in in film. Not just horror. I mean, that's it,
1: what a good costume designer does yeah. for you. Spins gold at a at a turd's.
2: <laughs> it is Michael Myers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from there, I'm going to go into, uh, James Wan saw, I I think that's another film that knows its budgetary constraints and knows exactly how to shoot this one room and smart to keep everything pretty well isolated in there and to play these games. And and it makes it work in a way that uh, is highly effective. I think, you know, it's and hasn't aged as well. It's got a few missteps, but I I think, uh, as far as a debut feature, it is just firing all cylinders for the most part, from a direction standpoint. Uh, from there, I'm going to paranormal activity. You know what? Uh, you can't afford... Uh, that movie's cheap. Yeah. I featured
1: mean, from... Uh, in last October, yeah. I, I think we were all pretty surprised at how much we we still liked it. movie's yeah. good.
2: Yeah. It is. It's very good, and it's very smart. You know, found footage is cheap. It's easy. I mean, I could have easily went with uh, Blair Witch Project as well. You know, they're both doing the similar uh, things and capitalizing on shoestring budgets and really getting as inventive and creative and crafty as they can with that and making it work.
1: Inspiring the master themselves. I mean, I, I don't think Romero either makes or gets the money to make a found footage zombie movie without, uh, either without that. And yeah, I mean, look smart, George Romero for doing it because he, I think he knew everybody else was going to make one. So he had to,
2: and, and I didn't want, I, I I thought that would where I was wrapping up. But there's one more person I want to put on this list. That's Ooh. Jennifer Kent and I wanted to go with the Babadook. Yeah. Um, nice. which is again, you know, it's low budget and they had some government funding, but they had to kickstart the rest to get it going. And I think it really comes together in a polished way and it's uber scary, uh, and very smart. And it definitely taps into a lot of emotional fears and, you know, uh, just character fears. And I, I appreciate it a lot.
1: Yeah. There's studio movies that, uh, don't have set design that good. Yeah, true facts. Good yeah. pick, Arthur. Dustin, uh, spin spin us a yarn, my good man. Uh, what 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 uh, what you teaching?
0: Okay, so I'm gonna think about sort of a uh, culture critique and consumer culture specifically critique um, because that is the big theme, the big E on Dawn. the eye chart. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I was trying to wrestle with it in that way. I, I was gonna suggest a essay, and I'm gonna go ahead and name the title, although I cannot recall the author. The name of the essay is "The Happiest Place on Earth," and it's sort of a, a cultural analysis of Disneyland. And so that's a bit of reading, but there's going to be lots more. Well, I say there's, there's a novel to read as well. Um, so I guess there is more reading even though it's based on a very, very famous um, film. Uh, which everyone has seen on the planet But to begin with, I think Escape from Tomorrow Would be a film that I would begin yep. to use to tackle this Which is sort of a pirate shot on Disneyland and Disney World campuses And is this crazy surreal story of this out of work uh, Father trying to find some way to happiness for his children And is just so frustrated with his life It's it's Shaun of the Dead without zombies, really um, Sean, not Don, in that case And so I would recommend it And then going back into that, um, that California and Florida experience well with Disneyland, um, the Florida Project. I had a feeling you were going there. I mean, yeah, Sean Baker's Florida Project yeah. is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a great film. And it is wrestling with that sort of underclass that's servicing all of those theme parks uh, that are in that part of the world. And also just a lot of the sadness that goes along uh, with um, a particular look into those lives. And so I recommend that movie pretty highly. And it's a good way to explore some of those things. And then I'm going to recommend the novel rather than the film. Jurassic Park
2: yep. oh, for, yep.
0: for similar kinds of reasons yep. um, because the novel more so than the film really plays into the idea of patented wildlife that mm-hmm. whole genome project that John Hammond's putting together in the course and again there's stuff about it Jeff Goldblum's got a line where he's banging on a table and uh, talking about slapping it on a lunchbox and that kind of stuff and so there, there are things yeah, it's,
1: a, it's kind of the big moment of the movie that they get into it though yeah and,
0: and that's really kind of it um, as far as these the sort of patented um, biological specimens And just this idea of trying to construct some sense of happiness, and then like Dawn of the Dead, um, some of that constructed happiness comes back. The Pirates of the Caribbean eat the tourists, and uh, that is fascinating. And so um, those sort of twisted examinations of consumer culture in uh, media would be uh, the module of some class. I'm not even sure what class it would be um, as I was approaching it, but those would be some of the things that we'd look at. I
2: dig it. I, I dig all of that work.
1: Oh, boy. Uh, kind of feels like it might be uh, that time, huh? I feel like it's time to get down to business.
2: It's business. It's business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. I thought it was an app. Sorry, I'll wake up.
0: Hey, buddy. Hey, let's do some analysis. All right. Are you excited?
2: Oh yeah. I'm pumped. Oh yeah.
0: So, um, Biggie on the eye chart. Well, I actually, Zombies.
1: I, I want to start somewhere else. I want to okay. start back in the the form days. Let's talk a little bit about the craft movie making. Um, what do you guys? We've talked a little bit about tone on this uh, with this film. We've talked a little bit uh, about uh, the mechanics of independent cinema, and, and I, I, I've been thinking about the the experimentation with tone that an independent independent budget frees up for you. Uh thinking of something like Eraserhead, like a lot of David Lynch's work. But I mean you could go to anything. But I I think uh I'm making a broad generalization, but I, I think if you research it the truth will bear out that independent cinema does have a, a lot longer leash with its its tone and the and the different kinds of hoops it tries to jump through and, and plates it tries to spin for better uh, sometimes or Sometimes to its detriment yeah. Yeah for better and worse and I think you guys are kind of in the, the worst column in the case of Dawn of the Dead. That seems to be something that's hung you up but I, I think for me uh, at least I'm going to make this pitch to you guys about some of the, the tonal mish. Dustin talked a little bit about the, the light hardness of the score from Goblin in some places. Uh, Arthur's talked about kind of the languid pace um, and we, we talked a little bit about Dawn, uh, Dawn of the Dead the remake and what works to make Zack Snyder's film so thrilling is a lot of personalities but not a lot of character you got a lot of like little tasty tastes of personality from James Gunn screenplay in that film uh, and they exist to service some pretty cool action set pieces but I think when you don't spend time take time to spend with your characters in a film that's either, as a siege film of any stripe whether it's zombies or whatever uh, then you just got personalities and archetypes, like you get in stagecoach. But I, I think Dawn of the Dead's four-person cast really gives them a lot of time to play around a lot. Uh, Arthur mentioned the big, the opening in the news station, and it's so stark and austere and like really serious film. like that carpet seems very deep red. Like it, it feels. Uh, almost of a piece with, like, a, all the president's men or something like that. It's got that real 70s. Everybody's got their, their suits on and looks important. And then we go to this housing project, and there's an exploding head within, like, five minutes of us getting to this next So phase. goopy. It's so goopy. And, like, the movie just immediately turns and it shifts into a whole different gear from where it was at at the new studio. And the film keeps doing this. As Arthur mentioned, that the bikers feel out of nowhere. For me, I actually wrote my notes. I was like, oh, cool, the weird's back. The film takes its time and just kind of stops and lets it be this, this soap opera, this character piece between these four people who are stuck on this island of safety in a desert of certain doom. And then Tom Savini and his gang of uh, nazi uh, wear sporting bikers show up, and the movie's just insane. Pies get thrown at zombies, a dude lands in a blood pressure cuff, Just clearly for the gag of it all, and it it makes no sense, and yet it it makes perfect sense for all the film that has preceded it. Because I think the film does a lot of that, jumping back and forth from one scene to the next, what kind of tone it's going to play with. So I guess that's my case to you guys about some of the weird shifts and jumps this film tries to make. Because I think it, it kind of is part of a long lineage of weird. Uh, tonal experimentation in independent cinema
0: Yeah and I think it's absolutely right that, that it is an exemplar Of doing that and I think for the most part That it does well I, I do like The jumping in you know the, the Blood pressure cuff, and I do like the pies in the face, and I even like the sort of whimsical scoring that happens when they're toting all the bodies out on the little you. Uh, <laughs> that's weird. That's <laughs> the weird. freezer, yeah, yeah, into the freezer with the with the, the big can carts that yeah. they've got, yeah, yeah, and uh, it, it it's hilarious and morbid all yeah. at the same time, and that I very much enjoy. Uh, so I, I think you're absolutely right. There are other moments in the score that are just a little too off or whatever sure. for me personally, but no, I think your point's well taken though. They would never have gotten away with that. They would have gotten notes from somebody at MGM. Oh yeah, definitely. It, you know, that's not that you know. Yeah,
1: it, it sure. Like Dawn of the Dead, the, the studio version, the remake has got some like kind of weird, silly bits. But the silliest shit's in the director's cut. They did mm-hmm. get notes. They had to pull it because it was too weird, or you know, too not something a studio wanted to have its name on. uh But again, even all the weird, weirdest, silliest stuff in that film, I don't think it has. Anything on the places this movie goes. Uh, all of the chainsaw bust thing and that remakes, uh, that's pretty... Pretty out there.
0: I seem to recall the silliest thing. I I, I think there is silliness in the remake, but it's sure. very subdued. And yes. again, I don't know what cut I actually saw when I saw it, but it seems like the silliest thing I ever saw was, and I can't remember what character or what even the event is, but it was a item, a product that they saw in the mall, and you were surprised that that character was interested in it. It was one of those sort of tonal shifts. Where it was like a, a being rained wanted a fur coat, or so I don't remember what it was. Yeah, there's but...
1: one guy that tra- tries on some lingerie. Everybody's just kind of experimenting yeah. with their personality and their. Uh...
2: Uh, There's also we, uh, a Richard Cheese montage. That's what I'm yes. thinking of specifically. Yeah. Yeah. get down Cheese with the montage, sickness, which is great. It's yeah. so
1: fucking silly. But a different kind of silly than what we get in Dawn of the Dead '78, which is really, really out there. Yeah. I mean, as, again, I, as Arthur has said, and I think this is kind of the her example. The pies in the face is goofy as hell. It apparently comes. A, who knows how apocryphal this IMDb trivia is? But uh, I like saying it because it's sometimes uh, you know uh, myths are fun. Let's let's put them out there. Uh, somebody, uh, Romero at some point said, uh, yeah, pieing zombies is about the only way we didn't kill them in night of the living dead. And there you go. Uh, that's, that's part of the legend is somebody made some offhand comment about it. And that, the next thing you know, they thought it was a good idea to pie the zombies and I'm with them. It's, it's goofy as hell. And I, I think speaks to, it, it made me think of, uh, that series of games. I can't remember them. Um, ooh, Oh, dead rising, dead rising. Yeah. I think it speaks to the the fact that this film has been so, popular with so many different uh, parts of the world i mean it's huge in italy it's huge in japan and i think a big part of that is stuff like that that stuff that just will very quickly breach all cultural borders and say hey look now we're throwing pies at zombies that's goofy as hell right and yes it is and i think has helped this movie's uh, longevity for sure
0: that's a fair point. I like that. Um, Let's move into, well, we'll I guess we can save the biggie uh, for when. I mean, at some point we've got to talk about consumerism and just give that reading of the movie. I mean, can we just rehearse it real quick? I mean, is it really <laughs> need to be a talking point? I
2: mean, everybody's done it, right? I mean, that's the thing. This is the movie about consumerism because they go to the mall because the zombies have been there. They spend a chunk of their lives there and they remember it. Uh, I, I mean, that's where the reading comes from. I mean, he says it about five times in the movie.
0: And they're literally consuming everything around them. Yeah.
1: Well, and they literally get to a point where they, they all but say, are we just like them? They don't ever say a line like that, but they get to some like, what have we become type shit. Yeah. And they're very much as a clear, as Dustin said, this is kind of some of the more ham stuff in the movie. It is the big E on the eye chart because it is clearly part of the text. Uh, and we talked a little off-air, any of Romero's films, I I think, are open enough for analysis that you can make them about anything. But if you don't... If you askew the consumerist reading, uh, anti-consumerist reading of this film, you're you're
2: cheating a little bit, I, I think. I, I think your point, yeah. I mean, we, we always talk, you know, author intent be damned. That's kind of been our thing since yeah, day absolutely. one. But when it's so ingrained in the movie, yeah. like, I mean, it is the backbone of, of what he's trying to do.
1: Well, much like author theory be damned. This dude wrote, directed, and cut this I mean, damn he had to, thing. Say, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this that's a whole lot of you're, of one person's hands yeah. on a, a lot of the creative process.
0: And that's one thing I did think about quite a lot was Roland Bart and the idea of the death of the author that this film is one of those movies that sort of defies it. There's other things that are going on that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes uh, regarding what's going on there. But at the same time, there's a very, very intentional sort of... um, reassertion of the author, or the auteur, in this case, uh, the filmmaker. And so, uh, I guess, again, name-dropping Roland Barthes, auteur theory, and uh, what Romero's doing with consumer ideology, uh, all of that stuff is swirling around in this, but it almost honestly kind of makes it the least interesting thing to talk about at this point, uh, regarding the film. I just want to
2: break, do you, how often do you think it's successful when a author, a director, a screenwriter, whatever, forces a a theme.
0: Well, I mean, I look at a, a similar film was doing a similar kind of things, like Sorry to Bother You, and it really, really works. Yeah. So I think it can work.
1: Well, people get after uh, Spike Lee for being too didactic all the time, but I think a good... If a film is well-made, uh, then it just becomes an essay of you know of of a somebody's truth, and I think that's as valuable as something that's super open ended.
0: But I wonder if it's not also the timeliness and the repetition of that same kind of message. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is nineteen seventy eight; the eighties are coming, the yuppie yeah, era, Gordon Gecko, Reagan, ooh, and all of that is about to, to it happen.
1: First, man, it gets to it. Way ahead of everybody
0: else, and so that makes it interesting yeah. because of its sort of um, um, you know prophetic nature. But that it's, being it's said,
1: primacy, if nothing else, yeah, yeah.
0: That being said, it is really, really done. The things you have don't make you happy, which is something we've been doing since Citizen Kane. If we want to be very honest about it, but you know, this is a different way of handling it and looking at a particular kind of again conspicuous consumption uh, in in the case of uh, the eighties, and it's sort of. Um, That's what I'm looking for. Um, I don't know. Overreach is what I'm trying to say. Decadence. Decadence is what I was looking for. Well,
1: and I think that's the moment. And I I think maybe this will be... As, as Dustin said, there's more interesting stuff that's kind of in the subtext of the consumerism. Maybe we'll pivot there yeah. a little now. I, I think one of the interesting things about the film is it is the decadence that makes them re- all realize there's something wrong. But I think we as an audience, if we're watching, it's very clear, very quickly things are wrong. I mean, Francine, uh, within like a day or two of them uh, getting there, finally has to be like, okay, first of all, you guys can't keep not telling me what the plan is. Second of all, I'm not the den mother. Which like, is she has to line. lay out like, I'm, I'm sorry. What are we doing here? What roles are we going to fill in this this safe haven we've built? And despite that line that she draws, and despite the line that, say, Pete and Roger draw, right? When they see the the, the cop that has fully gone off uh, the rails and is killing everybody in this housing project, human being and uh, Google alike, uh, 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 Pete uh, drops him down. He says, fuck this, and then has to have the unenviable task of uh killing all the black and brown zombies in the basement. Which I think is the the moment you were alluding to earlier, Dustin, that's a little too ham fisted, I imagine. Yeah, a,
0: l- a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think um I think Peter sells it. Um I, I'm I'm just a big fan uh of uh, his performance. David Forey, I think is uh how do you say that last name? That sounds right. Uh but I I'm a big fan of that performance uh, throughout the film, and I, I think he really sells that moment. He's got a lot of um, tears
0: in his eyes. I mean, Ken Forey. I was, mi- Foray. I was
1: smishing him up with the guy that plays Steven. Ken mm. Forey, Yeah, he, he does a lot with. It. He's got a, a a big brow and like really uses it to great effect in that scene. And I think the scene where he has to kill Peter. But again, they they establish themselves as we're not we're not the 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 rodeo guys. We're not the the ass kicker guys. We just we went out of here. And they can't help themselves. They can't help themselves but from kicking ass so hard that it gets uh, Roger killed. He, he you know, a lot of great thousand-yard stares in this movie. Uh, but uh, the actor that plays Roger has got the best one of them all in that sequence where they're trying to steal these trucks to barricade the mall, And he, he loses himself in the violence, and it gets him killed. Uh, and I think Stephen, uh, in his way-too-late marriage proposal to Francine, the same thing. He can't help but think, "Oh, everything's cool and safe, and all the reasons I worried about that I didn't propose to Francine before this shit hit the fan, uh, that's all gone. So I guess we can do it now, right?" And she's like, "Bud, what? It wouldn't be Mm-mm. real. What are you? You're only doing this because I'm the last woman that you know, and you don't want me to fuck these other guys. I'm not an idiot. Like, and I think that is the interesting part of this consumerism thing, right? It is the roles that all of these characters." Uh, reject early in the film and find themselves coming back to because of this this damnable mall.
0: And coming back to Peter, serving them at their little uh, proposal engagement dinner, right? I I was, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: that, and again, it's very nice of him to do that for them, but it's clear, like, he set this up because he's better at being a romantic partner than Steven is, yeah. and is just trying to help those two out, because he can tell they're, like, having a hard time. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's, but he can't, he ends up serving these white people.
0: Which, 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 again, I think yeah. that's why it subverts the sort of on-the-face reading, is like, it okay, does. you're the black guy, so now you're gonna work as servant, which goes back to some of the racial politics of the first film, having its main character yeah. being African-American by accident. He just yeah. had to be the strongest actor they hired.
1: But I think it's very clear that Romero goes, oh, okay, one of the characters in this movie is a cop. He's from, he's from Philly, man. He's no dummy he knows about police violence like i think that's a very very deliberate choice but i think you're right that's that's what subverts and makes it makes more interesting is the fact that peter uh, i keep switching their names but peter uh is like the most emotionally nuanced character by a lot and mm-hmm. i think even again this is coming back to the first thing i said where the film works even when you can see the seams those actors are doing their jobs well enough that you can tell that that's what's going on right that peter has set this up that Stephen is completely out of his depth, and I, I think you're right. I think that is the strength of the scene is that it does subvert that. Yeah,
0: and, and, and as you mentioned already, it does subvert those gender roles a bit, that she does have competence. She learns how to fly the helicopter. Basically, she saves her and Peter's lives because of having learned since Stephen ends up getting zombified, um, also Roger does, but later on, um, sort of the culminating moments. ...of the action of the film, and so it does possess some really sort of interesting gender reads uh, that are working there as well, and I guess I'll just sort of rehearse a bit of a thesis, and I've said this before on the air on this show in the past, but zombie fiction... Also has a tendency towards disparate human beings working together as a community to resist those hordes that continues to be a trope of it uh, there's a certain ecclesiological theological sort of strain that works in that this is the construction of the new community that are alive amongst the dead you I mean, know within christian theology
1: I mean more than almost any other survival uh, subgenre, right? Uh, or post-apocalyptic subgenre, genre um, where the, the, it's all about the lone wanderers, your Mad Maxes and such. Yeah, zombie movies, I think more than anything, is about how do you build communities from people who don't like each other.
0: Right, and again, the theological import, it, I mean, there, there's a voodoo reference, but it, it, hell has is already too full, and that's why the dead are coming back, but it's the idea of sort of resisting the damned around you, which sounds very much like, uh, you know, the early church in Rome, or something like that, you know? I mean, there, there are a lot of parallels parallels that are pretty easy to draw there uh, for that. And so I've I've written about that, and that's not what we're talking about. But that is a thing that's going on there as well that's pretty fascinating and uh, kind of unexpected uh, to be finding in this particular genre that it tends almost always, whether you're looking at your walking deads or you're 28 days later or whatever, just trying to work out those different ways of behaving. I do also think that there's an interesting discussion about not just violence in general but gun violence in particular and also the dehumanization of those around us. Uh, and, and sort of th- – there's a way in which the film – has a lot more heart than simply the gleeful you know video game style execution of zombies
1: Well, of the uh, Zack Snyder remake, which is full of very sexy slow motion shell casings mm-hmm. yeah, and I think you 're absolutely right this film has got that gun shop was not in the mall. they had to go shoot it and cut it to make it look like it was there, so clearly Romero had something on his mind about, especially you 've got the montage of the good old boys uh, in the National Guard killing zombies and blowing shit up like this is very much a, a, an examining people using societal catastrophes as an excuse to let their ids go wild. Yes. And our protagonists are not exempt from this, right? They, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, Peter and Steven have a great time going gun shopping together. Uh, and there's a lot of like very uh, comically and satirically fetishistic uh, like gun porn going on in that sequence, I think to your point.
0: I'm yeah, talking. I think it, it's comic though. It, it, Yo, it, yeah, it's, it it's played, lampooning it's for sure. It's satire, absolutely. Yeah. And so I I I think that's fascinating because also in this film unlike Night, this film has uh, a lot more personality or Sort of ways in which the costuming gives some sort of individual history of the zombies, and we've got a Hari Christian that we see over and over again,
1: yeah, really fun choice that
0: but but they, you know we see priests and we see nuns and we see yeah. clearly obviously doctors and people in sort of professional garb, and there there's a way in which there's an identifiability to a guy those people. in a pair of swim trunks, yeah, just yeah. the swim
1: trunks guy. Yeah, a baseball
0: I'm, player. I'm
2: a big
1: fan yeah. of costumes. Yeah, yeah,
0: and and, and again, they're, they're less of a sort of homogenous horde. Yeah, and they are th- these are former persons. Yeah. that we're dealing with, and that it's it 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 becomes an act of sadness and sort of necessity yep. by which they are put down, and then the real source of violence and threat comes from other human beings, of course, which, living human beings again, in this case.
2: Well, I was just going to say, to your point, there's this level of empathy when the bikers do show up and they're just bullying the zombies. I mean, there's yeah, some real, that, yeah. yeah.
0: Why are you putting pies in the face of my zombie friends? Yeah, they're
2: just pushing them around and being mean to them. It's just very cruel and it shows, you know, the, the zombies aren't intentionally killing people. They're just acting out of instinct to eat. Uh, unlike the biker gang who are just being cruel, like you said.
1: Well, I think it's great because it, it, it puts them, uh, In pretty stark juxtaposition to our heroes but also just shows everything the heroes were doing in fast forward they had fun they went shopping they cleared the mall of zombies it's just showing the brutality for what it really is right Mm -hmm. and i think that's that's again another strength is just showing uh these vile people doing a vile thing but it's not really that different but they've again the the tone has been tweaked just enough to Really set that exposition up in, in ways that get you, get your brains uh, spinning.
0: And I guess the culminating moment that sort of breaks everything down—that Peter and Stephen have put it together in such a way that they're going to run those guys out of there. Like they—they—they—they yeah. they, they win. They die hard the shit out of those guys. They really did. Yeah. I mean, or I was thinking Nightmare on Elm Street with all the booby traps. But yeah, yeah, I mean, same kind of thing, right? Where they've succeeded in defeating Tom Savini and his crew. And then all of a sudden, Steven just breaks over. God, this is ours. It was mine
1: first that, i actually wrote that down and it's it's i mean zombies uh look romero has been up front be like yeah, i didn't know shit about I, I i didn't hear about haitian voodoo zombies until or the movie white zombie until way after i made night of the living dead mm-hmm. but uh zombies zombies as a uh, originally expressed as like part of this fear of colonization and this dealing with colonization it is interesting that peter has that big this is mine no, it's not. Yeah. Or Steven says that. Steven. No, it's not. You stole it. Of course. They're the just, white guy. Yeah. They just have more people and more guns, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you didn't take, you didn't, it's not yours. It doesn't belong to you, you dum-dum. It's a refuge. Uh, and yeah, I, I absolutely agree. That's the moment where I think he fully goes and it's kind of what costs him uh, his life. It's what gets him gobbled up by zombies and his friends end up having to kill him. Yeah.
0: Well, that gets the uh, the safe haven of the mall broke. I mean, well, it, yeah, yeah, it breaks yeah. it.
1: It's him getting turned to a zombie that lets them know but stops their ability to kind of like think about their next move. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so, I mean, it's interesting that our own undoing is, you know, I mean, to not read it too hard in the sort of, um, you know, political realm It's pretty anarchist, you know The property is theft Uh There's a way in which that kind of reading Kind of lends itself uh to the film It's like, but what you're doing is it, You can take this place And you can use this place But to sort of be possessive about it Then it becomes an act of theft And an act of personal And, uh, you know, not just personal But of the community destruction And so, I mean, I just find that really fascinating And I think the colonial reading as well um Really lends itself that we've colonized zombies and there's, in the you know foundational text, a a instant of colonization where somebody gets too possessive and uh, starts a war, and uh, that war ends up having repercussions much much worse than anyone would have considered in the first place
1: well, and it's it's just a big deal in terms of uh, we we've talked a, a little bit not as much as we could have about just what a big deal and how influential this film is. the idea that marauders and bandits will come for you is not just a big deal in zombie movies. It is a big deal in all, like, societal collapse post-apocalypse films. And, uh, you know, this isn't the first. Uh, there's some, you know, the 60s, you've got your Vincent Price's uh, adaptation of I Am Legend. Yeah. I think that weird... Last man on Earth. Boy and His Dog with uh, Don Johnson, is that... I think that's around this same time. I mean, Probably, there's, some, yeah. there's some weirdos in the mid-70s, but again, I think specifically for zombies uh the humans as the real threats comes directly from i mean sure that's in night of the living dead but it is a huge part of what makes this film tick and i think has been spread to its progeny pretty uh um relentlessly yeah. uh the the last thing that i wanted to talk about uh i don't know if anybody else has any thoughts in mind but uh Arthur brought up uh, the newscast not the newscast that opens the film but the uh, like the PBS style debate show that seems to be going on um between this guy with the eye patch uh and
2: <laughs>
1: I I am trying to think of who the the guy um interviewing him reminded me of and I I, I still I'm I'm stumped uh, <laughs> I I can't figure out who who he he deeply reminds me of and maybe it's um oh shit um You'll get there. Oh, the San Francisco comic from the 60s uh, that, that did all the potty words before anybody else. Lenny Bruce. Uh, uh-huh. I, don't, I there, There's just this very, like, 70s uh, talk show host quality, this guy. This, like, very angry intellectual that I'm a big fan of who just has no time for this patch dude's bullshit. Mm-hmm. But the patch dude, like, finally losing his cool and breaking down and, like, rocking himself in that final broadcasting. Like, yeah. It's got to be logical. It's got to be logical. We all have to give up and just let the zombies eat us. Uh, and the final moment of this film says, no, nah, man, absolutely not. You give up your guns, you run away from the violence, and you get the hell out of there, and you try to make a go of it the best you can. Uh, maybe don't kill anybody else if you can help it.
0: Hey, we don't uh, got a lot of gas, but we got some. We got
1: some. And I, I think that, that final moment of uh, hope in the face of absolute uh, cataclysmic uncertainty uh, is really great. And it is just those uh, not the original ending for the film, apparently. They were going to go for the dark ending and let everybody die. Uh, but I, I think that that studio uh, TV segment really sets up the end of this film, the actual theatrical yeah. ending they went with really nicely. That's, I just want to end there. Yeah. We talked a lot about the bummer stuff in this movie. I think it ends in a moment of hope, and I think Th- it's a big There is deal. hope,
0: yeah, for sure. All then. Let's render a verdict, then. Shelf or Trash? Dawn of the Dead. First film of Shocktober, The Ocho. What say you, Dalton Stewart? Well, first
1: of all, I'm really glad the Ocho's catching on. Thanks for that. Uh, Yeah, this is... Oh, man. Yeah, you fucked up, buddy. Man. Um, This has got to go on the shelf. As Arthur mentioned, it's not easy to find. Um, Obviously, it's on YouTube for now, but who can be sure how long that's going to last? And there's a lot of uh, very coveted collector's editions and box sets of this movie out there. I know some of them are very expensive, uh, but I bet you could find a, a cheap rip of this movie. Um, in any case, I think it's a pretty big text and, for me, has only really revealed itself on this repeat viewing. So I think in terms of it, its its monumental import, its a difficulty of access uh, right now in the world of streaming, and also just, again, how much I've enjoyed repeat viewing. Uh, yeah, that's a shelfer for me, dude. All Well, thank you for that, Dalton. What do you say, Arthur? Shelfer Trash,
0: Dawn of the Dead.
2: Shelf. I mean, purely from the impact of it. I, I mean, it's just one of those movies. It's it's like Citizen Kane. I don't know that I'll ever watch Citizen Kane again or, I you know, I don't enjoy it the first time I watch it, but it's Citizen Kane. And I think Dawn of the Dead is in that same vein in that this is, you know, the, the grandfather of them all, you know, outside of Night of the Living Dead. I mean, this is the, the one that a lot of people go to, I think, even before Night of the Living Dead in some of the instances. And yeah. so, yeah, I think you put it on the shelf just purely – off impact alone.
0: Fair enough. And I'm kind of in the same place. I, I, I didn't love what I experienced, but I recognize its value and its import. And so it's it's not a go-to movie for me. Like Citizen Kane isn't, like you said earlier, Arthur. And there's a lot of like important movies, rules of the game. I'm going to be talk. I'm teaching a little bit about rules of the game tomorrow. And I haven't looked at that movie since we had to watch it for class. But I recognize its value and its import. And so, yeah, Jean Vigo, yeah, or not Jean Vigo. Renoir. Ren- Renoir. They're, they're all Jean when they're from France, and their last names run together. But anyway, um, yeah, Renoir – yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's that big of a deal. It's that important. It's that much of a cultural milestone that – it belongs on a shelf uh, for that value. And I can see why it's there. It's not one of those undeservedly so. You know, you look back at sort of former Oscar winners and go, well, I don't care to see how green was my valley or something like that again. But this movie, yeah, I think so. So, um, shelf for me as well. So, we continue with this marathon.
1: Yeah. Who's the picker of the film next? Well, I believe Arthur is next up on the docket. And, uh, unlike last week where, uh, we guessed, uh, what Dustin's pick was. I don't know what Arthur's is.
0: I have guesses, but I'll be curious to I see. like to play
2: it close to the vest.
1: That's exactly what he Has does. Has it
0: changed since last week we talked?
2: It's not, because Dalton said something that sparked it. And I thought about it earlier, but it just oh, kind of slipped my memory. Credit. I've got to,
1: because he said... That's very nice of you.
2: We were debating, because we know uh the following week's pick already. We know that what the guest host is going to pick for that show. Mm-hmm. And we said, Dustin's is in the 70s. Dalton said, yeah, 70s, 80s, I don't know that I want to go earlier than that. And I was like, well, why not? Why don't we go earlier than that? Ooh. And so there's a, a certain cycle of films that I really appreciate. And there's one of those six marquee titles I have not seen.
1: Oh, damn. Yeah, buddy. www. Where are we going?
2: So we're going all the way back to the 1930s. Yeah, we are. So officially the oldest film we've done. It's also going to be the shortest film we've ever done.
0: 70 minutes.
2: And we're going to talk about <laughs> The Bride. Hell of yeah. Frankenstein, yeah.
1: Love this the, movie. Best is of the, the best one. Of the best one, yes. I, I couldn't figure out if you were gonna say uh, uh, Dracula. I didn't know which ones you had seen. Uh, Very excited that this is the one
0: I I Um, punched the air so many times just now I'm so excited
1: This is only uh, one of like three uh, of the original Universal Monster movies I've seen So I'm really excited to revisit this one Uh, Dustin and I got to see this together I think, right?
0: We saw the original, we didn't see Bride Did we not see Bride together? No,
1: we Uh, saw Oh, I watched Bride with uh, Sanford uh, Our dearly beloved friend of the show And
0: Bride is better than the original
1: Oh, hell yeah it is Arthur, you're in for a treat,
2: man Oh yeah, I'm ready
1: Oh man, Elsa Lancaster. Mm -hmm. Well, good times. uh, I almost uh, was going to put a little film called Nosferatu in my potential bucket of picks. I'm still trying to narrow down, but it's coming out now. Thanks for taking us to uh, the Depression, Arthur. I'm I'm very excited.
2: I'm nothing if not depressing.
1: Well, look. Uh, That's what she said. The films from the Depression were good for one thing, and that was making you happy. So uh, here's to Bride of Frankenstein. It's going to be a fun watch. So you keep watching. We'll keep talking. And we'll see you all next time. Hey, now it's time for the part where I'm boring because we forgot to do it during the show. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show, uh, you know, the with uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio. you listen listened to a podcast before. It would really mean a lot if you rated and reviewed the show. If you're going to subscribe, it helps us out quite a bit. Uh, For more info on everything Good Trash Media, you can head over to goodtrashmedia.com for all of our podcasts and written content. If you want to find us on social media, I can't imagine why. It's at good underscore trash. Thanks again for listening.